Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Friday, April 29th, 2022. I am Dave Biddle. I'm very happy to be joined by Jonah Booker for his usual Friday visit. A lot of fun stuff to get into, Jay Book. I mean, wide receiver you keeps on keeping on, as it says down there on the banner. I mean, uh, Garrett Wilson. Now I think the Falcons are going to regret not taking Garrett Wilson at 8, but we'll see. Um, they, uh, you know, The Jets got him at 10. The Jets had a really good draft. So, And then right the next pick, um, Chris Olave to the Saints. The Saints trading up. Chris Olave and Mike Thomas playing together. Um, Jamison Williams then goes with the next pick at, at 12. Um, but your thoughts, I mean, this just Ohio State was already wide receiver, you in my opinion. This just cements it. It was so cool seeing that last night, Dave. And you and I, had, we had talked, uh, I think it was on the Twitter spaces last week with Pat. And I was saying that once the draft comes up, it's going to be uh, so much marketing opportunity for Ohio State and Brian Hartline. And sure enough, I mean, Mel Kuyper was just going on uh, a monologue about how good of a coach Brian Hartline was and how he's the wide receivers are being developed at Ohio State. Millions of people are watching the NFL draft. I mean, the ratings for the first round are always through the roof. And the fact that Ohio State is getting that spotlight for free from NFL personnel and commentators, it is it is huge for the recruiting aspect. And if you if you were following along on Twitter last night, Carnell Tate, Brandon Enos, a lot of the high-end guys, the five-star wide receivers in the 2024 class, just tweeting out Ohio State and about Ohio State and Brian Hartline and and how the, the guys are just going in first round left and right coming from the Ohio State program. I thought it was thought it was pretty cool. So it was it was awesome to see. It really was. I just love the NFL draft period. It's just so much fun. It's the best reality show on TV by far. Um, I can't wait for rounds two and three tonight. Speaking of which, I know, right? And then uh, even rounds four and seven, I'll I'll be locked in. I love it. I love it. I'm an NFL draft junkie. Absolutely love it. Um, All right. So where do we think that, where do you think Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, Jeremy Ruckert, and hopefully Thayer Munford go tonight? I think Thayer could be kind of on the bubble third, fourth round. I've seen him projected late third, though. And the good thing about the third round is there's those compensatory picks. So there's, it's almost like you bleed into the fourth round a little bit there. Um, where do you think those guys are going to go today, tonight? I, I was thinking to myself, uh, watching the draft last night, that I wouldn't be surprised if I see uh, MPF go in a second round here because you look at some of the tackles. Uh, a lot of those tackles went off the board. I mean, you look at the tosser tackle and guys from the guards from Tennessee Chattanooga. There are a lot of guys that people were saying that they didn't think were actually first round offense alignment that got pushed up the board because the need was so high. And because of that, the domino effect is guys like MPF who may have been 
third round guys may be pushed up the board to second round because they're now sitting there at the top of the board for a lot of these teams who are looking for a solid offensive tackle. So I wouldn't be surprised there. Thayer Mumford, it, it's going to be questionable, Dave. Um, I think the third, maybe fourth round for him still. I think it really hurt him, uh, you know, in some of those plays, especially the Michigan game when he was asked to go in there to the left tackle. The thing is with Thayer Mumford, is, is he a guard or is he a tackle at the next level? I I tend to see that he will, he will probably be a guard. I don't know if he will be able to hold up on the edge against your Von Millers or your, um, you know, those high-end, defensive-end, fast-twitch type of guys. Even the Bosa brothers, can't Thayer Mumford hold up on the edge against those guys? I have my doubts. That's why I believe Thayer is probably more of a guard, which at that point will probably put him in the third or fourth round. But Vinette. I mean, what what are the chances that the Saints come up and, or, I mean, uh, and get Ruckert? I mean, because they already got Vinette and then yeah. had the two the two Buckeyes. I wouldn't be surprised if the Saints try to make a move and see if they could get them another Buckeye. Because they at this point, you look at the Saints roster; they're all in for the Buckeyes. They have seven or eight guys that are that are former Buckeyes on that on that squad. So it's exciting to see. I'm fired up for it. I love the, the New Orleans Saints, man. I mean, Malcolm Jenkins retires. They're like, we got to get some more Buckeyes. We lost a great Buckeye with Malcolm Jenkins. Now we got to get some more Buckeyes in here. Love it. Uh, if, if I wasn't already a Hood A fan, I'd probably be a Hood At fan. Um, I certainly root for all the Buckeyes big time. Um, man, you know what? The Baltimore Ravens just tick me off. They, they just draft so well every time. I can't believe them. They got a steal with, with Hamilton, and then they, they got Linderbaum, the guy that I really wanted for the Bengals. Um, I've warmed up to the Dax Hill pick. You and I were going at it, not going at it. I just disagree with you on Twitter. I think you just ignored me. Uh, I was like, we'll see. I, I wasn't a fan of the pick at all at first, but I've warmed up to it. Um, all right, let's get into this. Uh, we'll get back to some questions here in a minute, but I want to talk about this. This is very interesting. We have some stuff in the boarding house on Bucknuts about this today. So for those that are curious about, like, is Ohio State, like, even though they're saying they're not doing it, even though the foundation itself is saying, oh, we're not paying recruits. Come on, that's a wink and a nod. They're actually are. They're actually doing it right at Ohio State. No, we have sources saying that Ohio State is not engaging in that. The the foundation they are not paying recruits like you know like Tennessee is like you know their collectives are and A and M and Texas. Um, Ohio State's not engaging in that. What they're selling is the opportunities that you can you know even make seven figures if you come to Ohio State and they're getting, showing examples of what the current athletes are making. Um, so that's how they're selling it. Another interesting point, Jay. Before I get your thoughts on that. Um, we're hearing Alabama's taking the exact same approach as Ohio State. They're not paying recruits. They're not promising upfront money. Transfers is a different thing. So Ohio State and Alabama are basically selling what they have and what you can do once you get there. They're not, you know, they're not going to get into the business, at least not yet, of promising a kid a million dollars to come here, $2 million to come here, whatever it is. Put a, put a figure on it. It's also against state law in Ohio right now. That's another <laughs> important factor. Right. Your thoughts on all that? I know a lot to unpack there. I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, you and I, we did a Spaces uh, chat and we had uh, Brian uh, Schottenstein come in there. And one of the things that that was one of the questions that I asked him about the foundation is, will you guys engage in, you know, kind of setting setting the market with offering some type of contract to high school recruits? And basically, as you mentioned, he said it's against the state law. There's a lot of chatter that DeWine will sign a new bill, which will allow high school recruits to benefit off their name image and likeness and if that's the case then yes the foundation will 
push the envelope forward and start to offer those type of deals that you're seeing from the South. But right now, Ohio State is not operating in the space that you're seeing the Miamis and the Tennessees and the Floridas. Um, I spoke to someone within Ohio State program earlier this week, and basically they said it's chaos. It's absolute chaos out there. Teams are winning by any means necessary. Some of the some of the figures that are being thrown out to some of these top recruits is absolutely insane right now. And um, Ohio State, they will. I will tell you this: they would love to get in get in the muck. They would definitely love to be able to say, "Hey, not only are you going to come to Ohio State, get a great education, be developed by some of the top coaches in the game, have a shot to play for a national championship, but also give them that type of guaranteed money that a lot of these other schools are." Are offering, but they are not engaging in that. So right now, Dave, I would say they would love to do it, but they're not doing it. Alabama's not doing it. You're seeing it from a select few schools. And just reading the recent articles about the NCAA is going to get even crazier with the NCAA basically just throwing their hands up and saying, we're done. We're out. We're out of this. They're looking to start delegating enforcement to the actual conferences, leaving it up to them. So what we think right now is the Wild Wild West is just going to be absolute mayhem. It's going to be every program for themselves, every conference for themselves. And I have said it, if that's going to be the case, just let Kevin Warren copy and paste whatever the SEC rules decide to, whatever they decide to do, just go ahead and, and just blanket copy it and let that be the Big Ten rules. Because if you try to get too cute, try to let Kevin Warren sink his paws in, in trying to enforce here, is going to greatly hamper the, the Big Ten Conference. Yeah, we can't let him get involved with anything in terms of putting rules together. I think it's inevitable, um, and I know I'm not breaking news here, that the Power Five conferences are basically going to break away and just form their own. But there needs to be a commissioner. There needs to be some type of regulations, and I think most um, prominent head coaches feel that way. I believe Ryan Day feels that way. Nick Saban feels that way. Dabo Sweeney feels that way. You get all those guys – Lincoln Riley, all those guys, you know, speaking out about it, that, that could carry a lot of weight, um, especially guys like Nick Saban and, and Ryan Day and Dabo yeah. Sweeney. So we'll see. Um, now, let me ask you this. It feels now you mentioned like DeWine might sign a new bill, which would take it off the table where it would be illegal for Ohio State, for the collectives, for like the foundation to basically be paying recruits, um, high school kids. Let's say that happens. Don't you feel like it's inevitable that Ohio State will get into some sort of arms race? Maybe not the crazy amounts that we're seeing. Because I still think they mm -hmm. want to be focused on the current players. And they don't want a recruit coming in making $2 million. And, you know, current players like, I'm only making a quarter of a million, which sounds crazy to say, but or a half million. They don't want that. I've heard that from good sources. So but don't you think eventually it's inevitable Ohio State will have to get into that once it's legal? They're going to have to. Dave, I mean, that is even though it may feel crummy, it may feel dirty. If you want to be able to play on the, the highest level, you want to be able to get some of these uh, top high end recruits. I mean, if you go to a kid and their family is is struggling financially and a school saying, hey, we give you two million dollars to come here right now. And Ohio State saying, if you come here, well, the if you come here, maybe you will have the opportunity to make some type of cash. A lot of these kids are just going to take the cash right now, and hopefully they can go in there and get developed and make it to the NFL. But for a lot of these kids coming in, that's more money than their family will ever see in their lifetime when it comes to some of these NIL deals. And as you mentioned, 
you know, how does it how does it affect the dynamics of the program when you have certain kids making X amount of dollars? You look at it, it's already starting to seep out just a little bit at Miami. I was reading this morning that one of the basketball players from Miami saw that the Kansas State kid is coming in. He got eight hundred thousand dollars. So one of the current players said, well, if you don't if you don't uh, increase my NIL pocket, I'm transferring out. So that that right there just kind of lets you know that, hey, I'm transferring. If you don't pay me, that's what is potentially going to go to. But it's early. I'm curious to see how it's actually going to work out with Texas A&M. You look at Texas A&M spending all the money that they did. Tennessee out here offering big time money. Um, Florida, if you go over to the Florida 24-7 board, even their staff is saying, hey, we made an offer to ex-recruit. But we just blatantly got outbid by Miami. They doubled what we were willing to offer this recruit. We were in the game. So that's just kind of where we're at right now. Yeah, and Ohio State was at one point, you had insiders saying Ohio State was the favorite to land the K-State basketball transfer. Miami then outbid Ohio State. Gave the kid like, what, $800,000 a year? They gave him $1.6 million total for two years. It's crazy, man. That story that you referenced it even had the guy who's the billionaire down there who's funding all of this down in Miami. Even had quotes from him saying, I do not renegotiate. I mean, this is <laughs> this has turned yeah. into like, you know, we were like, man, how how fast is this going to turn into pro sports? It, uh, ludicrous speed. It's already well, has. Well, well, what you're doing, as you mentioned that billionaire day, what you essentially are doing, you're having wealthy boosters turning into general managers because those boosters, they don't have that the cash to be in the actual NFL. So what are they going to do? They're going to go ahead and manage the pocket and, and the purse strings for their beloved alma mater or the school that they cheer for. Yeah. And as Ed, uh, Ed, a loyal listener, um, viewer, um, probably a question. A lot of people are, are wondering, Ed wants to know, where's all this cash coming from? I mean, just to keep it simple, Ed, it's coming from very wealthy boosters, <laughs> billionaires, yeah. You know, multimillionaires at the very least, you know, and hey, regular fans. And I know many have have donated to the foundation, chipping in, doing what they can. But when you're talking about these mega deals, where's the money coming from? Big time boosters. And listen, Ohio State, they've got plenty of big time boosters. So, you know, wait till Les Wexner and his family gets involved with this stuff, you know? Yeah, the, the money's coming from three sources. You can have it coming from the fans like us that, you know, decide, hey, we're going to donate 25, 50 bucks to the foundation. Two is coming from the boosters um, and three is also coming from businesses who are using their donation of cash as a marketing tool to where they're going to be able to write that off as a tax expense to say, hey, I'm using this as a tax break because I'm using these funds for marketing campaign. You look at I think it was Life Wallet or something like that, that the, the Miami um, boosters mm-hmm. using. He's he's sending that money out of his company's account to say hey i'm paying an nil deal because this kid is bringing awareness to life wallet so he was saying when they tweeted out that they were paying this kid eight hundred thousand dollars that tweet alone generated four million impressions so Hmm. they're saying because of the four million impressions that to them is considered a marketing tool so they're going to write that off as a an expense for their actual business but as far as the actual Money that's coming from it can come from a variety of ways. And from what I heard, those three ways are the main sources. You look at Florida, Florida just opened up their NIL 
Foundation, I think it was last week. And within 24 hours, it they have already $5 million. Within As soon as they open the doors and say go. Now, that is one thing I wish Ohio State Foundation would do is let the people know where they're at. Buckeye Nation fans, we're super competitive. If we see that Florida's at $5 million, Tennessee's at $20 million, and we're sitting there, you know, 6 or $7 million, if you can rally the troops, Ohio State fans will say, hey, we got to make this the biggest foundation. So that is one criticism that I would make about the Ohio State Foundation is I think they should have some type of running total to say this is how much we've already generated. That's an interesting point. I didn't even thought about that. I mean, you and I both know Brian. Um, I'm not going to act like I'm like close friends with him, but, we, you know, we've had him on the podcast a few times. We, you know, as you mentioned, you had him on Spaces where I was a co-host of that. So chatted with Brian many times. We'll have to ask him that. Has somebody asked him that? Are you going to make that public? You're, you seem to be intimating that that he's said that he's not going to make that public, how much money they have in there. They, ha- they haven't really said. Um, and just going through this dialogue with you and the fans here, that's just something that just popped in my, in my mind. It's like, hey, I would like to know, you know where they're actually at because I thought it was really cool that Florida NIL was transparent and they were just tweeting it out like, we're at $4 million, we're at $5 million. just – letting the people know where they're actually at as far as actual funds, because I mean, is our foundation broke compared to every, everyone else? I, I would like to know, like if we're only operating with a couple hundred thousand, whereas some of these teams are saying, Hey, our war chest is going to be 25 million. That would kind of give the fans an idea of what we're time, we're, what we're operating with as far as some type of budget. Yeah, no doubt about it. And one more point I want to make, and I kind of hit on this earlier. I do find it interesting and comforting from Ohio state's perspective First of all, it's not hurting recruiting at all if you look at their recruiting class right now. But you have Alabama, Ohio State, and even Clemson have the same mindset here with NIL. They're going to do everything they can for their current you know, student-athletes um, and transfers, but they're not going to get in the business of buying recruits, at least not yet. I do find that notable because if, if you're Ohio State, who are you comparing yourself against? Alabama, right? That's, right? that's who you're chasing. So I do find that notable. What do you, what do you think about that? I do. I mean, it's, it's great um, that Ohio, the big dogs are really in the same space right now. I think that teams that are really trying to make that push to get from being a solid program to an elite program, those are the ones that you're seeing that's really coming out here, guns blazing, willing to pay whatever it takes to get recruits in the actual door. You look at Texas, you look at Texas A&M, you look at Florida, you look at Tennessee, Miami, those are historically great programs, but how far down the pole have they been for the last, you know, decade? So right now they're just trying to hop in there and try to make their, the program as competitive as possible as quickly as possible. And the fastest way to do that is to go and buy recruits. Let me get to a couple questions here. Um, Andre wants to know uh, coming from YouTube. What do you guys think Ohio State's recruiting class? Do you think Ohio State's recruiting class will end up in the top five? I do. It'll probably be closer to five than one, you know, but I think it'll be like a top five, top four class. What do you think, Jay Book? I agree. I I think it would be, uh, as you mentioned, closer to the five, maybe six, seven range, because you look at where they're at right now. It's the star overall star composite. Uh, scores is a little down compared to the last several years so that would mean in order for them to really push for that top five spot they're going to have to start landing some top 100 guys 
Um, so it's going to be a battle for some of those guys that they're in on. I think the offensive line right now will be uh, some of the spots that they really need to hone in on. I know there's a big one coming up next week, and if things go right, Ohio State will have the top three offensive linemen in the state of Ohio, which is a great start. Now you can start uh, looking to try to go national. But one thing to keep in mind today is we've yet hit yet to hit camp season, so a lot of these guys that Ohio State are in on, they're going to get recruiting bumps, which will actually help their composite score. All right. Steve asked me earlier for my thoughts on Daxton Hill, which I, I did give. Um, he he uh, probably tuned in right after I said that. But he wants to know from an actual expert, from someone who actually played defensive back. I mean, I I, I kind of played defensive back, but it was like an eighth grade. So I don't I don't that doesn't <laughs> Jonah actually Jay. For those that don't know, Jay Book played DB at Ohio University, so he played college football. So Jay Book, Steve wants to know from a DB, what is your thoughts on Daxton Hill going to the Bengals? I personally thought the Dax Hill pickup was a really solid pickup for the Bengals. They 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 got him late in the draft. From all indications throughout the entire mock draft season, he was being projected as a first-round pick. And Dave and I were, were just talking about this before we opened up the, the channel. Um, he's one of those combo type of guys in today's NFL that's extremely valuable because he can be uh, a corner or a safety type of hybrid role. I think he'll replace Bates here pretty soon uh, in the next few years. And then you'll have Bates and potentially Von Bell uh, maybe back there, or I'm sorry, um, Hill and Von Bell back there. But I like to pick up. I think he is an alpha dog type of guy. I was telling Dave on the uh, Cover 3 podcast from CBS, they had uh, the Michigan insider Sam Webb on there. And one of the things talking about Dax Hill was, he was the alpha dog leader in the Michigan program. A lot of people look at Aiden Hutchinson and think that, you know, him and the other defensive end, those guys were the alpha dogs. But Sam was saying, no, nah, it was Dax Hill who was really the guy who motivated that defense and was one of the vocal leaders on there. And so I think that will fit in well with the Bengals organization. Good. You've, you've talked me into it. I wasn't happy at first. Now, now, in fairness, though, you're right. The value is good. Everybody had him projected as a first round pick. And then you're drafting at the end of the first round. He, he, did, he did seem to be best player available, according to a lot of analysts. The guy that I really wanted was Tyler Linderbaum. He wasn't available. Of course, the, you know, the stupid Ravens, of course, they draft great every year. They, yeah. they plucked him at 25. So I can't complain about it. You've talked me into it. Go Dax Hill. I'll yeah, I like the sign kid from Georgia too. The uh, the Georgia safety, I think he's an absolute stud too. He's yeah. a six two thumper, um, and I, I thought that was a really good pickup for for Minnesota there late. And he's a true safety. That's the one thing about Dax Hill. Like I don't like tweeners, but you know football's changing. And Louie Anarumo from the Bengals, yeah. their defensive coordinator, Anarumo, um, he does a good job, and he'll he'll be creative with yeah. Dax Hill. So yeah, before we move on, I'll say this, Dave. The NFL, because the NFL has changed to where the tight ends are being split out in order for you to be able, because you can't necessarily put a corner on a tight end. Like if you have a Kelsey or Darren Wall or something, someone like that that goes and splits out in a slot, that's where your Dax Hill type of player comes into play because he can play close to the line of scrimmage as a corner because he does have the athletic ability to flip his hips but he also can be physical enough to be your safety. So that kind of helps when you're going against an NFL type of offense to where they have an elite tight end to where you don't have to move a, a nickel corner inside. You can use your hybrid safety there. That's a great point. And the Bengals used a guy um, 
that played really well in the playoffs last year named Trey Flowers, a guy that got for nothing. Seahawks cut him midseason. Bengals picked him up. He's a former fourth-round pick. And he played really well as in that role that you're talking about. They just basically used him as like, if you're playing the like, the Bengals were playing against a good tight end, Trey Flowers was on him like pretty much the entire game. So um, great point there. One more. Sorry, we're not going to get to all the questions. There's always so many great questions. We appreciate them. Hey, I, uh, I got go. some time today, man. <laughs> okay, we got, we'll go a little. We'll go a little longer. We'll go a little longer. Let's. This is one I think every Buckeye fan would would love to be true. Evan wants to know: Has Clemson fallen off for good? I'm not going to say they're dead yet. I think they've definitely taken a step back. And some of the things Dabo has said publicly, I think, is not helping him in recruiting, to say the least. Um, But have they fallen off for good? I I can't get there yet because they're going to skate through an easy ACC, and then they're two games away from winning the national title. I don't think they'll win the national title. I think they'll probably be in the playoff. I'm not going to say they're they're falling off for good. I think they've taken a step back for sure. I would say Clemson is in trouble. If I was a Clemson fan, I would be highly concerned. One is because Dabo is showing the tendency to be complacent. We've seen it here at Ohio State. What I mean by that is instead of going outside and looking for the the elite coach, which will help elevate, especially the quarterback position, they went in-house and pretty much promoted from within. Not having a coach that is player-friendly as far as uh, making sure guys are being taken care of financially as Dabo is where he's saying that, you know, he's going to quit if, if players start getting paid and just some of the things that Dabo says just really doesn't sit well with a lot of recruits and their quarterback um, right now, the quarterback development is a major issue. If, if you listen to some people, there's been a lot of whispers that big Dave, when he was on campus with Mateo DJ's brother, the Clemson quarterback, there was a lot of talk about how they're not happy with the way he's being developed at Clemson right now. And so they're kind of keeping an eye on if how things progress. And if things doesn't go well, I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see the Clemson quarterback transfer out of there. But as far as the, the Clemson uh, offense, I will say this. They promoted a guy who got chewed up and swallowed up by Kerry Combs in, in the in the playoff game. They promoted him to be their offensive coordinator. And if a Kerry Combs defense can cause you problems as a play caller, then I, I don't know about that because we all saw what we got out of Combs. Great guy, but schematically he was not a chess master. That was his uh, moment in the sun. He was doing uh... – Snow Angels in the confetti. You remember that? He was doing the Snow Angels in the conf- in the confetti after the game there. That was great, getting that right. Clemson monkey off our back. That was fantastic. All right, let's hit this one. Um, I was going to cut him off, but J-Book's being very generous with his time. All right, Charles wants to know, coming from Facebook, what are your thoughts on Ohio State going after an offensive tackle in the transfer portal like Jonah Miller? What do you think about that, J-Book? I, I will say go for it. Um, we had it in a boarding house right now that – Transfer offensive tackles, if you're extremely good, the asking price right now is like 100K. That's the rumors on the street that if you're a, if you're a good offensive tackle and you're hitting the portal, and, you, and the other thing that I've been hearing is if they have three years of eligibility left, makes them even more valuable. That just means that the player will have more time within the actual program besides a, a potential one-and-done transfer. But I definitely think that Ohio State really needs to hit the offensive line the, the the thing that really sets Ohio State in a bad situation, Dave, is we don't know what we got out of the guys that stud left. 
that were probably reaches that Ohio State missed on uh, some of their top guys. We don't know. They have the size, but we don't know what Justin Fry can actually do uh, with them. And we've talked about it for numerous weeks now that Ohio State, they are concerned about the offensive line debt. And I would like to see them be more aggressive for going after the portal. I wouldn't mind seeing them go after at least two to three guys if you can find the right piece. Because as we as we mentioned in spaces, you also got to have that conversation with the offensive lineman to say, hey, you may not be starting this year, but we'll get you in the rotation so that we can develop you to have you ready to play starter minutes maybe come next year after Dewan leaves. That's leads into my point. I think the really tough predicament for Ohio State here, if they're going to land a good offensive lineman in the portal and not just somebody who's a depth piece um, who would just be clearly on the two deep, but a guy that could actually fill in as a sixth man or even challenge for a starting spot or if a guy gets hurt would be the guy to go in there. The problem's going to be, I think, if you're a good offensive lineman in the portal. Tell me if you agree with this or not. Um, now, maybe if the money's right, it won't matter. But if you're a good offensive lineman in the portal, don't you need to be told you're going to be starting right away? I you think do. I'll be able to promise yeah. that. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is you're going to have two foes. One, that if offensive lineman is good, he's going to have multiple offers for cash coming out, out yep. the portal. So he's going to have to weigh his situation there. And then two, you're going to, they're going to need to be able to look at the depth chart and determine where they can actually play right now. Now, if you're Ohio State, you can do, you can maneuver by offering a lot more money to say, hey, we'll up our ante on the offer if you come. And the reason we're going to do that is because you may not play right now, but you have the opportunity to play down the road. So because of that, to try to offset some of that to keep you happy, we'll bump our offer up, you know, 50K, 75K or whatever it takes to get you in the door. Yep. Great points. I love that question. All right, let's get to this one. Um, This is from Ryan on Facebook. Ryan wants to know, do you see schools slash foundations (laughs) requiring players to sign contracts not to transfer? I think absolutely. I think we're already seeing that when you, some of the details from the Tennessee contracts are leaking out and others. I think absolutely. Or, you know, not re- yeah, requiring them to sign contracts, maybe not to transfer, but if they transfer, then they don't get money going forward. So it would be like a year. They get to keep what they already earned maybe. What do you, mm-hmm. they're, they're definitely going to have to like have some type of wording in there in the contracts, I would think, Jay Book. You definitely have to do that so you don't get Quinn Ewers burned. Uh, type of deal. Uh, you look. You look at what Texas A&M has, what they've been doing, and basically, you sign your contract, and it says you're guaranteed X amount of dollars while you're still enrolled at that specific university. If you decide to leave, which you have every right to do, you're going to leave. Uh, leave that money on the table. So in year two, year three, if you're guaranteed to make X amount of dollars, if you decide to transfer that money goes back into the foundation pool. All right, let's see if there's any more that we're going to get here. Let's see here. Uh, let's get to one more here. This is from Chad from Facebook, or excuse me, from YouTube. Uh, I think a lot of Buckeye fans are wondering this. Will Master T get drafted on Saturday, um, or will he be an undrafted free agent? Chad adds, is it better to go seventh round or be an undrafted free agent? I always think it's better to hear your name. I'd rather be a seventh round pick to be an undrafted free agent. I get it. You can pick your team and your best fit if you're an undrafted free agent but you could always say you're an nfl draft pick if you go in the seventh round your thoughts on that and do you think master t will get drafted jay book i i do think he'll get drafted uh late to me it, it's a 
it's a two pronged type of deal because I I really like the opportunity to pick the right fit for myself because if you go into uh, a situation where they already have two solidified running backs and the best you're going to get is a practice practice squad type of opportunity, then yeah, it's cool to hear your name called in the seventh round, but I would really like to see uh, a situation where you can actually choose where you go so that you can find the right fit. There you go. Great show today. Appreciate your knowledge as always, Jay Book. You always come strong. Um, great stuff as always from Jonah Booker. And thank you to all the listeners and viewers out there. Great questions and comments. At least great comments from most of you. We had a we have a seems like we have a Notre Dame troll that jumped in and a, a couple other trolls, but we didn't put any of their comments up. But you Buckeye fans had some great questions and comments. We appreciate all of you. If you like the show, like, subscribe, give us a five-star review, depending on what platform you are listening or watching on. Again, thanks to Jay Book. Thanks to all of you. Enjoy the rest of the NFL draft. Hope everyone has a great day and a great weekend. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.